Welcome to the Veterinary Business Matters Podcast brought to you by Oculus Insights. Here we will discuss topics related to veterinary business management. From small to large animal, this podcast strives to give you the insight and tools to help you improve your veterinary business. Oculus Insights, supporting businesses where great people want to be. Hi, I'm Mike Pownall and welcome to another Oculus Insights podcast, all part of our COVID-19 Veterinary Resilience Package. I'm joined today by two of my colleagues at Oculus, Katie Arderline and Sue Armstrong. Welcome, Katie and Sue. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. So you've heard Katie and I speak about human resources. You've heard Sue and I speak about coaching. And I thought, you know, when I look online at some of the Facebook forums, when I look at some of the comments on our own Oculus Insights page, uh, we recorded a webinar yesterday on leadership during times of crisis. And a theme comes through from practice owners, practice leaders, practice managers of how exhausting it is having to handle the different emotions of staff members. And it really resonated with me because, boy, we're all up and down and day to day. And it's not just the business we have to worry about, but our our own safety, the safety of our friends and family. It is a heavy load on our shoulders, unlike we've ever had before. So I thought, you know, Let's get the three of us together. Let's talk about how we talk to people, how we coach the people in our practices through this crisis. And Sue and, and Katie found a great article that we'll put it in the uh, podcast notes. And I thought this is one that we can just go over, discuss, bring some real world context. It's uh, coaching your people through a crisis. And the authors are Brenda Steinberg and Michael Watkins. I want to make sure they get credit. Why did you guys think this was such a relevant article for us to discuss in this podcast? I think from my perspective, this is Katie. Leaders now are, you know, you always wear a lot of hats as a leader, but now you're sort of having to really, like you said, shift into that overdrive as far as taking care of your staff and really being able to help them through this time when you yourself are kind of not lost, but, you know, unsure of the way forward. And I thought that this particular article uh, provided a really nice framework for sort of how um, we as leaders who aren't necessarily coaches, I mean, Sue is a professional coach, you know, there's training involved, it's a profession. Um, but we have to sort of shift from being um, task oriented management type leaders to people who are able to listen to their staff and sort of help the staff get through what's happening. So that's why it resonated with me. How about you, Sue? totally agree with what Katie just said. Uh, it's so important right now to make that shift away from being a directive uh, manager to being a supporting manager and a coaching type manager and making sure that your team knows that you're right there in it with them. This article does lay out some foundations for that, as well as some tips for yourself personally, how to show up in a coaching role. And I read this yesterday after you guys, Mike, this is a great article. I went through it getting ready for this podcast and I was like, yeah, this is spot on. Boy, I wish I read this three weeks ago when this was all starting because there's some great tips. So let's go through it. First of all, they talk about six tips just in terms of how it's going to help you in a conversation, coaching somebody that works with you. And the first one is be emotionally available. And I know, Sue, just as we were getting ready for this podcast, you mentioned that that was a line that really resonated with you. Maybe we can discuss why that is. Well, it's about being able to put your emotions in check, having a, an idea of where you're at, and being able to meet that person on your staff where they're at. 
And when I say that, you know, you can't come in bouncing and being all super Joe happy when you can see someone is clearly stressed and concerned. So you have to meet that person where they're at and be present with where their emotions are. And so that would mean if Katie was feeling stressed or anxious is to be able to pare down my emotions, get really present with where she's at as a person and say, hey, Katie, you know, what's going on with you and how are you feeling today? What I always talk about level two listening, be present with how they respond, listening to their tone of voice, their point of view, and really taking in what their body language is conveying. You know, it's interesting to that as we're talking about it is with so many of us, even within vet practice, there's a bit of social distancing. I have not seen a person from my practice in about four weeks. I know a couple of our office people are working from home. So it's hard to, just by looking at a person or looking at their body language, this, this brings us into a new territory because often we can just rely on emails, really never conveys the right tone. One of the things I've been doing just to keep a handle on things, I'm just calling up random people in my staff, just not random like a stranger, but calling them up and just saying, hey, how are you? Haven't seen you for a while. I've seen some emails, but I'm just checking in with you to see how you're doing. I found that to be very helpful because A, they're surprised, B, they appreciate it, and C, it shows them that I'm actually very serious when I ask the question how they're doing. And I've been getting some very good insight from it. It's helping us bridge the gap, the, the, the distance, and to let people know that, you know, if I don't call them in a week or two, but they know they can call me. So I think that's a little tweak we have to do because we're not seeing everybody every day, which is a challenge. Next one, which is probably my favorite one, but I'll let you comment on this one, Katie, is separate fact from fiction. What are your thoughts on this one? This is probably my favorite point as well. You know, obviously there's a lot of information out there right now and people are hungry for information because there's so much that's unknown. And that's on a large scale as far as what's happening in the world and what's happening in your country, but also um, within the company as well. So having that connection, like you talked about and checking in with people, you're really helping to stop or to, to get an idea if there's some sort of rumors going around or there's speculation going around that might be potentially damaging to already a pretty delicate situation. If you're doing a good job as far as communicating regularly, then it might not be such a challenge. But in the absence of, of communication, people are going to make up their own stories. Yeah. The, the story is going to keep snowballing until they're it's firmly entrenched that this is the way things are. So, um, you know, as leaders, we have to be able to help them to help to nip that stuff in the bud, but also just to make sure that they know that you're interested in your listening and that you're trustworthy. Yeah, I think that's a great segue into the next one and where they talk about being an optimistic realist. In other words, you know, talk about what really is going on, what's not likely and what's not likely to change things that are beyond your control. I find that to be hard because as a leader, you can make some educated guesses of where we're going. We had a discussion this morning where we have to do a bit of job sharing and some hours are reduced. And a really good question is, well, how long do you think this will last for? And I'm like, Honestly, I don't know, but based on what I know, what they're talking about in the newspapers, when the curve is going to be flattening, you know, this could be four to eight weeks like this. It could be longer, it could be shorter, but that's kind of the parameter I'm working with. And I think having a source, I think just like being veterinarians, when somebody says, well, why would you give this medication to this cat? Well, we have a source, there's research on that. So I think not going to every Facebook rumor and spreading that around, but knowing, hey, you know what? our reputable local or national newspaper, that's kind of their theory on this. And, and that's what I'm going on. 
Next one I liked, but I thought, uh, Sue, I think this is right up your alley in terms of when you're coaching people a lot, is temper people, uh, temper their urge to overreact, help keep things stable as possible. How how do you see this playing out in, in practices right now? Oh boy, people's emotions are all over the place. And I think we talked before about, you know, you're, you're checking in with people over the phone and, and it's really about checking in with people daily. Some people's days are better than others. And when they're having those bad days, they get right up there. And, and you know, the article references being on the ledge and having to talk people off the ledge, this sense of anxiety and no control. And so it's about, bringing people back down to a place of what what we know to be true and and not overreacting from that place of what we know is true and being able to self-regulate our own behavior so that they know that, you know, if we're all over the place and I'm going to do the spaghetti arms in the air again right now, and we're overreacting, what this says is a sense of security uh, that you're you can handle this. But, you know, I had a, a case that I dealt with where the default behavior of the owner was to become a box checker to say, you know, I retreat and I, I look at, I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this. And she wasn't communicating very well with their staff. And they thought she didn't take the whole issue seriously enough. So it's a delicate balance of, of how you control your own behavior. You can't overreact, but you can't underreact either. You have to, again, meet people where they're at and be as transparent as possible with information and how you're feeling. So, you know, this is a bit of a side question. We have talked about this, I don't know if within a podcast or not, but, you know, as leaders, you know, it's lonely at the top of the organization. So I'm thinking of this from a leader's point of view, you're, you're swamped, you're inundated with so much information that you have the responsibility of keeping the business open, keeping it going, keeping all the staff happy. Where do we as leaders go to vent? Because I think it's terrible and I think it's really going to send a wrong message if somebody that works with us says how you're doing and then you answer all flustered and I'm all over the place, blah, blah, blah. That's really not going to convey any confidence to people. So maybe we can spend a few minutes and I'll start with you, Katie, in terms of how do people who are in this position, how do we find that release that we can then go, all right, I am the leader and I'm going to act that way. And whatever spiders are in my brain right now, I'm going to have to put that aside until another time. That's a really good question. And, um, you know, I go back to when I did some Dale Carnegie training, they talked a lot about compartmentalization. So being able to compartmentalize your emotions and your feelings. And, you know, hopefully everybody has somebody that they can talk to and can be candid with. Um, You know, so you compartmentalize those spiders in your brain for that person and just understand that you need to you need to come from a different compartment when you're talking to your staff. I mean, obviously, the leaders of the business are going to be just as anxious and, and, you know, just as fearful as everybody else is. But like you said, you have to be very careful about who you go to with those. And, you know, if you need to vent, asking permission is just saying, hey, can I vent to you or can I just need to unload this? I need to talk about how I'm feeling. So you can kind of clear that and then move on from there. Um, Sue, I don't know if you have any additional thoughts on that. You said the words right there. I like to call it clearing. Sometimes I just need to clear this and get it off my chest. Um, And if you have someone that, you know, whether that person is your partner at home or your partner at work, and to be able to have that relationship where you can say, 
I just need to clear right now. I'm going to clear some anxiety. I'm going to clear some stress and some fears that I'm holding right now. And if you don't, this is when journaling becomes just your best buddy, because sometimes you can just go dump it from head to hand to page. And it's cathartic to be able to just get it out, even though you didn't say it out loud, you dump it all on the page. And it just allows you to to breathe a little bit and you're not carrying it around with you. I liken it to walking around with a knapsack with rocks in it and you just keep throwing rocks in it and you're carrying around. And if you can dump it all on a page, if you don't have someone to share it with, and if you don't have, what I say, if you don't have a coach to talk to, which is a non-biased third party to just dump those feelings out, a journal is a great place to do it. Yeah, I like that metaphor of the backpack full of rocks and you're just emptying them out. I think that's a a good way of looking at it. I haven't thought about journaling. It's something that I had been doing in the past, but it's one of those habits I sort of broke just because of all this going on there. But it's something I might go back to. That's awesome. Thank you. Last two points in this, I think, are kind of intertwined. Figure out what is still worth doing and focus on the short term. And I was having a discussion with uh, our operations manager at my own practice the other day about this. And I was like, well, we're sort of lamenting all the goals that we had for the year are kind of well shot because, you know, sales goals or profitability goals, you know, on that aspect. And we were making some short term plans, but who knows what the next two months, three months, two years are going to bring to us. But I said, you know, Regardless of that, there are still some things that we wanted to do that we should still be able to do. It's a bit slower. Some days it's a lot slower, but you know, there are tasks that we wanted to do. There were things that we wanted to add to our protocols. There were areas that we wanted to simplify. And I said, we can still do that. I said, that doesn't matter about visits. It doesn't matter really about taking care of patients. It's stuff that we can do on our slower days so that when we come out of this, and I think this is the whole idea of the Oculus Resilience Guide, is that we will come out of this and how well prepared will our practices be to rebound when we're allowed to do so. And I said, this is a great opportunity to still work on some small projects, get everybody engaged on that, not so focused on the long term, but sort of the things that we can control now. And, you know, I think that will help all of us knowing that even somebody mentioned somebody has a tick box to try to handle things, but it's sort of like we're making small wins. You know, there's a big storm brewing outside the office doors, but right and within what we're doing, what we control, we, we can handle that. I don't know if either of you have anything to add to that. I'm relishing the small battles that I can handle now and not worry about the big picture later on. Yeah. I think, you know, seeing crisis as an opportunity. I mean, even for myself to be perfectly candid, it took me a few days to, to come around to that concept once the initial so many question marks were sort of pulled down from the air. But, it, you know, thinking, okay, well, this is a time when things aren't as we thought they were going to be, you know, and the client work uh, that I've been doing is slowing down while they're, we're supporting them, but it's, it's not quite the same. But okay, well, there are opportunities to get other things done here that we've sort of always been waiting for time to do and mental time to do. So I think focusing on that and, and thinking of things, you know, even for folks who are, are all of a sudden working from home and not as busy as they usually are, and they're feeling very disconnected, you know, like thinking about the projects they can work on with one or two other people just to make sure that they still have that um, that connection and that engagement, and they still have somebody to talk to. I mean, I'm an introvert, so you know the staying at home thing isn't such a huge deal for me. But I imagine the flip side of me and people who crave interaction and crave that face to face, this must be incredibly difficult uh, for them. So if you can help them by you know getting things done for the practice as well, then really it's a win win. 
So the next uh, section in this really good article on, on coaching during times of crisis, they talk about coaching for motivation. And they talk about three factors that people need, they talk about. And, then, and there are different people that say different things for motivation. But for the sake of this article, I think these are pretty spot on. People need power. They need achievement. They need affiliation. And I'm wondering, Sue, in terms of how you're talking to people, how you're coaching people, what do leaders need to do to keep people motivated with these three factors? Well, connection is is the big part and, and finding a way to stay connected with them so that you can observe and be aware people's behavior or what they're missing or lacking. So if someone is someone that gravitates to a power place, so they enjoy competition and and recognition, how you can um, give that to them. And and so when we're talking right there, Katie, about having a sense of what projects can we give them to do in this time so that they can feel, I'm thinking about their cup filled, so they feel uh, a value uh, and they get some validation out of it. So just trying to stay connected to each person and and their personality type so that you can give them that sense of belonging to the the business and contributing. Along the same lines, earlier today was our day to go into town. Hopefully we think it's a quieter day. It's Wednesday morning, get our groceries. Let's try to be as socially distant as possible. And it really caught me as because it ended up being a busy day for the supermarkets, but we have such processes. So many people are allowed in at the same time. We're all waiting in line to get in with our good six to eight feet apart. Most Many people are wearing masks now. And I was like, boy, the barriers to connection are so high now. And see, so when you're talking about connection, I was like, you know, people are saying that this may be the new normal, but I'm thinking as soon as they relax these barriers, these restrictions, I think there's going to be an explosion of people just wanting to be with each other without masks, within arm's length, if not closer, and just to interact. I think we're starving for that. And I, I wrote a blog on this just when this was all starting about how this will impact pet ownership and that practice. And I think in one hand, we're being at home more often, so we're actually spending more time with our pets. So I think it's actually going to be great for veterinarians in our profession because people are going to be even more bonded with their pets. They're going to want to make sure their animals are healthy. They're going to spend time at home now and they're realizing, oh, oh, Sparky's limping a little bit. I never really noticed that before. Or somebody's scratching more. But I think it's also with each other. And I think just in a broader sense, and I was going to say on a blanket statement, and both of you, please correct me if you think I'm off base on that. The more we can keep the connections with the people that we work with as part of a team, I think is is going to help us overall in coaching. Uh, I don't know. Do you think I'm crazy thinking like that, Katie? I mean, not at all. I think, you know, if you're still making an effort and, you know, you have a strategy in mind for making sure that people are still getting those connections, when you come back and things are quote unquote normal again, I mean, they're going to be a new normal, but things are going to go back to some semblance of the way they were before. You're going to have a team that's just so much more flexible and adaptable and and people who are are willing to sort of not necessarily do what needs to be done, but are willing to be engaged and willing to contribute in non-conventional ways. Like I said before, that kind of opportunity that comes from this is that opportunity to have your organization be a better functioning team. I think that on that, I think what you're really going to be able to see is the creativity that 
every individual has that is going to rise to the top right now with ideas and and how they can make shifts to how they are how they're showing up at work and you know maybe they're just working way more efficiently now than they ever did before and that becomes the new norm i you know i can work this efficiently and more productively because you have to do so much more in a shorter span of time right now very true very true so the last thing that they talk about is just preparing yourself. How do we prepare ourselves to be a coach? And there was a line here, and I just want to read it from the article. So I thought, this is spot on. I want to write this down. This is so true. And I think this may reduce some of the barriers that people have when they think, well, I got to coach somebody. I don't know what I'm doing. And that is, and I'm quoting here, coaching is the opposite of knowing. Knowing gets in the way of learning. In other words, don't feel like you need to be the expert before engaging in meaningful conversations. So as an outstanding coach, Sue, what what are your thoughts on that? How does this reflect what you see and hear? There's no right way. Um, It's about showing up and caring. Coaching is about caring and it's about caring if you're doing... um, coaching for performance. It's about absolutely caring to get this person from A to B. Right now, um, we have to be in such a place of, of caring. And what your staff needs to know is that they matter and that you're there. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be the perfect question. It, it might sound silly to you, whatever you're asking, because it's not something you've ever done before. But it doesn't have to be perfect. Nothing's perfect. And there's no wrong answers. And there's no wrong questions. Just be there for the people that uh, that need you right now. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to this last section here in terms of what we need to do. Hey, it's, it's Wednesday morning, I'm going to have to have some difficult conversations or things are uncertain in the world. And this is on people's minds. So they give about five, I think, excellent points. Let's go through them. So the first one is coach yourself. What motivates you? Again, I'm going to lean on you a bit, Sue, just in terms of how you think people listening to this may say, how do I get myself motivated in the morning to do this? Yeah, I'm I'm not going to lie to you. Coaching people can be energy depleting. And sometimes you, and even I do go, okay, I've got to get myself in a place for this call. And what do I need to do to get there? And a lot of the time, because, you know, I'm, I'm a human being, and I have feelings, and sometimes I'm not as up as I could be. And I think about, you know, what do I need to do to get myself in a place to help this person? And and so I think about that. And, and maybe it's I've got to go um, do a quick run around the block just to get my energy up, getting yourself in, in a mindset and a place and thinking less about yourself and more about the other person, what I can do for that person to help them get to the place they need to be. On. And so that leads to the next one. And I love your thoughts on this, Katie, because as an introvert and you're having to take the energy to engage with other people. So the one point they say in terms of helping ourselves be better coaches is to reframe, to energize. And so what are some of the tips that you use to help coach people? Honestly, to be perfectly personal at this point, you know, as an introvert, sometimes I think, oh my gosh, I have to talk to people and it's so exhausting. But then once you do it, and I think, you know, in this article, they talk about fear of failure as being something that can be demotivating. And I think that that's, that's something that I deal with. But then, you know, when you actually talk to the people and you go out and you do the thing, 
that you've been doing for 10 years or however long it is, and you have a positive effect, you remember that actually I'm good at this and this was helpful and it is very energizing and it, and it uh, reminds you that uh, you have an obligation to be that extrovert. Um, even if you, you woke up in the morning, you're like, the last thing I want to do is talk to 20 people today. And you might be tired at the end of the day physically, but I think a lot of the time mentally it can be affirming and it can be uplifting for, for people to just get in there and, and just do what needs to be done. So I think that's the biggest thing for me is just remembering that at the end of the day, I never regret getting out there and, and getting my hands dirty as far as talking to people goes. You know, I do something kind of similar as you're talking about, as you, as you were describing, I was like, I recognize that because I'm an introvert as well, but at the same time, leader of our own business, we have 43 people and having to have a lot of conversations, keeping people abreast of things and, and making some pretty tough decisions. And sometimes you're going, oh my, that was a tough day. I had to make some tough decisions. Um, not everybody's happy about it, but to me, my reframe is going back to, okay, why did I make the decision? Is it in line with the values and purpose of the practice? Is it contrary to what I have said we are going to do about this crisis? And to me, what helps me reframe it is to go back to the bigger principles, the bigger decisions that we said we're going to do at the outset of this whole pandemic. So I look at, you know, days where it's been a rough day as like, okay, we're still on the right path. It's still working. These are the speed bumps, but overall, this is where we need to go. And I'm finding that helpful and hopefully others can find that as well. Mm -hmm. You kind of brought up an interesting point too um, that bears repeating there. You were sort of hinted at it is if you're a bit lost in what the next step is to go back to your mission and vision, if you have them and go back to your values and say, you know, is this decision that I'm making in line with these values? And that can help guide you at a very basic level as well. And one of the things I've said, you know, in a couple of the webinars and podcasts is what I have found helpful is to, when this started is, and, and it's not too late to start if you haven't done this already, is sort of like, here is the goal of what we're trying to do to get through this pandemic. And so for our case, it was full employment, maximum hours. That's the goal. It's unlikely we're going to achieve the goal. So 80% is better than zero. 80% is better than 70%. So if we can keep everybody working and not have to lay people off, and our goal is to maybe do some more job sharing or hours sharing so everybody's together and we come out of this together, I think repeating that and, and making that part of your conversation so everybody knows that this as a company is what we're trying to do. This is on a similar line of going back to your, your values and your principles and your purpose is... We need to have an anchor for our communication with how we're doing things with people. And I think always reverting back to that foundation, to me, I find very helpful. Absolutely. So, Sue, I'd like to talk to you and, and get your thoughts on blind spots. And as a coach, you know, we're, as you said, you're a person. And, uh, and as a person, you're inherently, you, we have our own blind spots. Can you talk about blind spots and how you get through the blind spots so you're a bit more open to other people's experiences or perspective? Yeah, we're human beings. Um, we're drawn to things that we are connected to. So when I say that, um, sometimes I find it when someone is talking about something that I am also passionate about, or maybe something that I've experienced in the past, I can very easily slip out of coach mode because I'm like, oh, I totally understand that. And I'm identifying with that. So if someone's talking about a situation in the workplace that's, uh, say, a competitive one, and I'm an extremely competitive person, I have to 
remember to sit back and go, okay, um, you might be really identifying with this person and you're not coaching them anymore. You're more consulting them or telling them what to do. And that's really important to be aware of when you're not listening anymore and you're following where that person is going down the path instead of sort of staying the line and, and staying neutral in the conversation and really just trying to find out what they need to uh, succeed and find out what it is that you can do for them to help them help facilitate their success. So I don't know if I conveyed that to you. Did you understand sort of where I was going with that? Absolutely. And, and uh, Katie, I'm sure you have something to add to that too, because I said, how do we reduce our blind spots? I've asked you, but I always come back to myself is sometimes I get peculiar questions or what I think are peculiar questions or comments from a person. And I always have to remind myself, everybody's looking at this differently. I just got to open myself up and not dismiss what they're saying and really try to key in on what is the underlying thing they're trying to say. And a lot of it's just based on fear and uncertainty. Yeah, definitely being sort of more objective and reminding yourself before you have the conversations that you can't walk in with assumption and you can't walk in with, you know, oh, this person always has the worst annoying questions for me, but don't listen to respond, but listen to understand, actually listen to what they're saying and how they're saying it and be, you know, this isn't about you. This is about them. Keeping that in mind. If I can jump in here. Please. In, in coaching, they ask us, what are the things that you cannot be with? So what makes you personally makes you crazy? And and for some people, it might be laziness. For some people, it might be, well, maybe say crazy questions kind of thing, right? And it's about standing out of judgment, like literally metaphorically stepping to the side of judgment and staying out of judgment. Because when you said that, Mike, about the questions, it's like, yeah, there's no stupid question, right? And we can't be in judgment of how people are showing up right now because they are showing up in fear. I guess the, the great analogy for vet practices is you have a client in, you're giving them uh, news about their pet and it's probably not the best news. And there's a dollar figure attached to treatments or therapies or further diagnostics. And then you have that client that sort of looks at you and the response they give you is otherwise even killed generous, funny person lashes out or a person that has often been very, you know, a great communicator just looks at you with like a blank face. And it goes back to, we have no idea what's going on in their home. And so the blank face, maybe them just trying to calculate, all right, I need to do this. I love my dog. Oh boy. We had these expenses coming along. I've got to, re you know, they're doing this mental calculation. How am I going to pay for this? Or, you know, that person that is genuinely uh, just a great, lovely person and they lash out is, well, you don't know that bad day of a spouse. Maybe they have a family member that's that's sick. And I think it's the same thing here is there is so much going on to every individual that we're encountering in terms of job security, health of themselves, family, finances. I think everybody on a daily basis is just running the gamut of emotions. And so I think we need to be very as trying to be as objective as possible, but trying to be open to everybody's realities because we are on the outside looking in so much right now. So this next point, and I'd love both of your opinion on this, and we'll start with you, Sue, because just this is where I'm always my challenges, and that is focus your attention. As a leader, there's a lot going on right now. So how are you saying I need to spend 15, 20, half an hour with this person and focus your attention? Any tips of the trade would just be so welcome. I've got my pen ready to take them down for myself right now. Oh, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> 
So tips of the trade on how to focus your attention. It's really about that level two, level three place. Uh, So if you're in person with them, really picking up on what their point of view is, what they're trying to communicate to you and, and making sure that you're getting it right. So saying what I'm hearing is that sort of kind of conversation and getting yourself in place, um, like I said earlier, that's a, a grounded place of connection and, and trust. Because when you're spending time with that person to talk about, you're really creating that trust bond with that person. Um, and so staying, just staying focused on the fact that um, you're there to help and support that person. Yeah, I think too here, um, while we're in a really unprecedented situation, and that's definitely true, I think remembering that you know this person. So, you know, they're not going to be a totally different person fundamentally when you talk to them in this context. So think about, you know, well, what's worked with this person in the past? Um, What Mm -hmm. hasn't worked? You know, how do they usually react? So just remembering that they are the same Mike, they're the same Sue, they're the same Katie. And, you know, just being careful about how you communicate with them and how they like to be communicated with, whether it's the beginning of the day or the end of the day or or whatever the case may be, but just sort of not going into, you know, putting your head in the sand and just saying, I'm just going to talk to everybody because I might consume Katie told me to, but you know, what's worked with this person before and what might this person's fears be and go from that place as well. I think what's helped with me, you know, this is some of the feedback I've gotten in the past with my own performance reviews. I'm like a crow in shiny things at times. It really has brought it to my attention. So a couple of the tricks that I do is right off the bat is I shut down my laptop. Like I close it. I don't want that distraction. I turn my phone off and I know a lot of people, more and more, we're just hooked to our phone and every buzz and beep on it, we go to it. I just, I put my phone down and I'll put it away out of arm's reach. And then I think having a pen in my hand or a pencil on a piece of paper, I'm there to work and that, that I'm there to focus on that and, and not be distracted. Uh, those are sort of the kind of things that I'm just finding right now that just helps me and just say, all right, if this takes 20 minutes and it ends up being 40 minutes, just focus your attention because this is the most important thing right now. And again, it comes back to the veterinary analogy is, you know, when you're talking to a client and they're sharing the history and you're asking questions about their pet, well, you're not looking at your phone, you're not looking at the computer, you're not looking at your watch, you're focused on them and you're putting the story together. To me, that's how I'm able to do it. It's just like this is not dealing with a, uh, a pet owner, but I'm dealing with somebody that has a great concern and they're coming to me and my responsibility is to give them all the attention that I can. What a great analogy. Why, thank you, Sue. <laughs> I'm glad you were paying attention. Drum roll. It is a great analogy. You know, with, with veterinarians, we're getting into people management. We're getting into financial things. A lot of the stuff we do with the diagnostics, the communication are no different than how we interact with clients. And I just think if we just shift to how we're doing it and going, okay, we're not talking about the dog with or the cat with PUPD. We're talking with somebody who's coming to us because something is going on right now in this world with this COVID-19. Yeah. Last point that they bring in terms of being prepared and... And that is curiosity. How do we keep our curiosity going with these folks? You may be hearing a similar story for the third or fourth time that day or week. So how, are, how do you keep curious, Sue? Because you talk to a lot of people. And I'm, I'm always impressed that 
all the feedback I get from people is like, oh my God, Sue is so into it. She just gets me and she just asks the best questions and she's so insightful. And I'm like, that takes work. So how do you do that? When people are fascinating, they really are. And everybody has a different story that might just somehow be along the same theme sometimes. And what we were taught in, in coaching school is that we hold every individual naturally creative, resourceful, and whole, meaning we hold every person we speak with capable. And I I fundamentally know that everyone has the answers. Everybody knows in their heart what they need to do. They have the answers. And that when we're coaching them and we're staying curious, we're trying to ask the right questions to help them kind of pull back the curtains and go, oh, yeah, I know what I need to do. And I think that if we hold our staff or our people capable of, of making the right decisions and knowing that they, that they can do it. And just from a place of curiosity and love, ask them what they need. What do you need? Because they know sometimes it's just really hard for them to articulate it. How about yourself, Katie? Because I said, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of you and I don't want to put you on the spot, but as an introvert, and I share that, we're, we're very inward looking. And so it's a bit of a chore for us to be outward looking and have that curiosity. So what, what helps you be curious? Honestly, I, I kind of have, as much as I'm an introvert, um, I've learned that you find out the most interesting things when you ask people questions and people like to talk about themselves. So, you know, I mean, I know myself, I'm pretty boring to myself. So uh, what better way to sort of get that energy than to ask questions and just sort of ask some questions out of left field, ask some easy questions, but really just not be afraid of the feedback that you're going to get. Because I think, you know, as um, Sue was just talking, I'm reminded that people don't expect coaches to fix their problems. The coach is there for you to be able to get the best out of yourself and to solve the problems from within. So I thought it was really great, Sue, that you mentioned that, that we all have the answers inside. It's just a matter of getting down to a place where we can really look at things um, objectively and say, this is what needs to be done. So much as I'm an introvert, I actually do enjoy talking to people and, and learning about what makes them tick. And I think that's sort of along the same lines as you, Sue, where you know people are really, really interesting. We just need to ask them questions. Here's another vet analogy, because I think that's how I'm effective at this in terms of as a vet, I got into becoming a vet because I didn't like seeing animals in distress and I wanted to solve their problems and I wanted to get them to a better place. That's a simplified version of it. And I think the same way, and one of the things that really inspires me about it being a leader and hopefully a coach, mentor to younger people or other people in my practice is that same kind of curiosity of like, they're struggling. How can I help them? And honestly, since I've been more of a, you know, focused on being a leader in the practice and, and more interested in communication and coaching, I get the same thrill from somebody, you know, finishing a conversation going, ah, I get it. The light bulb went on or, oh, at least you've opened a door for me to explore as I did treating a sick animal and, and getting it better and seeing the joy on the owner's face and seeing the animal moving much better, much happier. But I think at heart as veterinarians, we're problem solvers. Talk to most vets. They like solving puzzles. They just, we just like figuring out things. And, you know, humans are very complex, harder to figure out. But I think putting yourself in that mindset that I'm just trying to explore and open up some doors and lower speed bumps to help this person do better. Boy, to me, that's awfully satisfying. Absolutely. Yeah. 
This has been a great discussion. I don't know if either one of you have anything, last words or final thoughts as we were talking, if anything that we had talked about triggered an idea that we didn't cover in this discussion. And uh, Katie, I don't know if you have anything or Sue, if you have anything, I don't want to put you on the spot, but boy, just my mind's racing right now with all the ideas that I've picked up here. I think, you know, I I just said it, but I think it bears repeating is that don't be afraid to stick your neck out. And we, other than Sue, are not professional coaches. We aren't formally trained in coaching, but that doesn't mean we can't have conversations with people. And that doesn't mean that we can step out of our own sort of ego and our own uh, assumption and point of view and really talk to people and build trust with them and really get good information and, and ultimately help us grow as well. So, you know, I would say if people are thinking, well, I'm not a coach, there's no way I can do it, you know, just give it a try and stick your neck out and see what happens. And just be very transparent with people. I'm not a, I'm not a professional coach, but um, I really want to, uh, to see if I can help you and, and remove those obstacles and lower those speed bumps, like you said, Mike. Yeah, thought on Katie, coaching, ultimately is empathy and caring. And what we need a whole bunch of right now is people caring. Yeah, and I'm getting a little jokey because I'm a I'm a hugger and I haven't got to hug people for a while. So but the whole world needs a lot of patience, a lot of empathy and a lot of caring. And so there can never be enough reaching out right now just to just to check in and make sure people are doing okay. Great final words to end on. Katie and Sue, thank you so much. This was an absolutely enlightening conversation, and I look forward to our next one. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Thanks so much. At Oculus Insights, we care a lot about animals, but we also care about the health of the veterinary profession. Our goal is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success.